0: It's Tuesday, May 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The pandemic-era real estate market is crazy, and it's showing no signs of slowing down. This time has been a windfall for sellers, entertaining multiple offers above asking price, and headaches for buyers, where offering more money is no longer good enough. Contingencies are being waived, and other concessions are also being made. Amy Peakey, reporter at CBS Money Watch, joins us for the ultra-tight pandemic housing market. Next, the economy is in comeback mode, but businesses can't find enough people to hire, despite millions of people that are still unemployed. Potential workers are holding back because of fears of getting sick, lack of childcare, and some are still making more money with enhanced unemployment benefits than they made in their pre-pandemic jobs. Eric Morath, labor and economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for why despite an economy ready to be on fire, some businesses can't find employees. Finally, similar to the housing situation, if you're in the market for a used car, good luck. You can expect high prices and fewer options. The average price for a pre-owned vehicle hit a record of over $25,000 in April. A global chip shortage is slowing down new car inventory, people are holding on to their leases longer, and less inventory at rental car companies are all playing a part in these higher prices. Nora Naughton, auto industry reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: If you are a buyer that you think you're only going to be in a house for less than three years because of the costs right now of buying a home, you know, many people have to offer over asking price um, and the costs of buying a home, like the closing prices, that maybe you should wait. Joining us
0: now is Amy Peakey reporter at CBS Money Watch. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me on. The pandemic real estate market is nuts. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I am currently looking for a home with my wife. We'd be first-time buyers, and it is beyond frustrating. It really is a seller's market. If you're selling a home right now, you're sitting pretty. You're getting multiple, multiple offers. If you're a buyer, get ready for a lot of headaches. There's just a shortage of for sale homes right now. And the prices are really high. I think at the end of 2020, they were 15% above what the average is. So Amy, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing in this pandemic housing market.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the confluence of several different trends. One is just demographics. You have almost 5 million millennials turning 30 every year. And that's when they, people hit their prime home buying years, they're ready to settle down. They want to buy a home. So that's number one. It's just demographics. The millennials, of course, are the biggest generation right now in the United States. So it's a massive group and they're looking for homes. Secondly, you have really low interest rates. The typical 30-year mortgage right now is below 3%. And that's partly because of the pandemic. The Federal Reserve is keeping rates low because they want to help stimulate the economy. And that's great, of course, and it's making housing a lot more affordable, but that's also bringing a lot of buyers into the market. So you have, you know, that's the second thing that's just really swelling the ranks of buyers. And then you have the pandemic. And, you know, what's happening there is kind of interesting. At the beginning of the pandemic, housing... Just dropped. Housing demand just dropped. I mean, people were scared. We all remembered what that was like last March. No one wanted people coming into their homes to look at the homes. And so the activity really dropped maybe, you know, maybe a month. But then things started to pick up again. And partly it was because people realized okay, if I'm working at home, if my kids are at home learning, I need more space. Or I want a yard. You know, I want to move from the city into the suburbs. So it Spark demand for different types of housing. there has been a lot written about people moving out of the cities into suburbs and smaller cities as they're doing remote work. And then the other side of the pandemic, this is kind of fascinating, is that homeowners were worried, where am I going to move? Like, okay, it's a seller's market, but if I put my home for sale, up for sale right now, then I have to find a place to buy. And that's stressful. I don't want to have to deal with it. Also, I don't, maybe I don't want people in my home still. So... (laughs) That's led to that inventory issue, that there's just not not enough inventory
0: right now. And what's happening as a result of that is, you know, these insane bidding wars, you know, it's so tight. I mean, the first step is to offer way above whatever asking price is, but that's not enough. A quick example, you made mention of a home near the Microsoft campus outside of Seattle. It was listed for $725,000. The buyers made a bid without seeing the home of over $400,000 above asking price. That's nuts. So that's the first step right there. But then people are also waiving all sorts of contingencies, meaning no inspections, all of that stuff. And that's what's kind of sealing the deal for the sellers. But as a buyer, you put yourself into a possible trouble spots, you know, if things don't pan out later.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so what's happening is that all the risk is now being taken on by the buyers. If you're not getting an inspection, you're taking that risk that, hey, that house I'm buying and I'm paying a lot for could have a cracked foundation or could have a problem with the roof. But, you know, the problem is that because there's so many buyers lining up, as you mentioned, a seller can say, well, all right, you're insisting on an inspection, but there are 20 buyers after you who would just waive it. So it's putting pressure on buyers to kind of give up a lot and take on a lot more risk. Now, I did interview one buyer who waived the inspection contingency, but he did something else, which I think is a really good tip. He did a walkthrough inspection. So when he toured the home, He brought an inspector with him that the person was just able to point out if there were major issues wrong with the house. It was not as thorough as the inspection that you would do after you make an offer and the offer is accepted and and you're going through that process. But at least he was able to figure out, okay, there's nothing really wrong with this house. There might be some little things, but I can live with it. And he made an offer accepted. He made the offer over, way over asking as well, but it was accepted
0: is there going to be some type of housing bubble burst going to happen with this? I know the situations aren't the same as when it happened in 2006, but what are we expecting to happen with all of this?
1: That's a great question. And I I asked uh, real uh, realtors, I asked economists about this and they all said, no, they all said, you know, things are very different from 2006. First of all, To get a mortgage right now, you have to go through a lot. And actually, one of the home buyers I spoke to said, he he described it as actually quite invasive. Like, he had to provide so much financial information to prove that he had, you know, the assets and and the income um, that he said he did. He thought it was quite thorough. And that's what I'm hearing from other people in the industry, too, that it's not the same as 2006 when, you know, there were, like, quote-unquote liar loans where you could just basically say what you earned, but no one checked it. And the banks weren't checking it then. So, you know, that's different. There's a lot more a lot more regulations in place and banking standards are a lot higher. It's not to say things aren't overheated though. And you know, one of comments comment that I spoke to said, you know, if you're not going to be in a house long term, meaning longer than three years, you might want to wait because the chances are at this point because of the demand and the dynamics that you might overpay. And you know, buying a house isn't cheap. You have to pay the closing costs moving of course you know everything else that comes with it so if you're not going to be in that house for more than three years you might want to think about whether it's the right time for you to buy because you might not recoup your pot.
0: amy peakey reporter at cbs money watch thank you very much for joining us thanks
1: so
2: much for having me on There's no question that we're hearing from businesses that um, they are having difficulty hiring workers, although over 300,000 workers, i point out, ha- were added this last month in leisure and ho- hospitality. Joining
0: us now is Eric Morath, labor and economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me. The economy is coming back after the all the closures and everything of the pandemic. A lot of people have predicted that it would be kind of a A big rush back, but it's going to take some time to get there. Unemployment numbers are improving, but what we're seeing is that businesses still can't find enough people to hire, especially in uh, sectors like manufacturing, restaurants and construction. They're all struggling to find workers. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing going on with the economy right now.
3: Yeah, I think what we're seeing in the economy is that the demand for goods and services is outstripping the supply of labor a little bit. A lot of people have gotten stimulus checks, a lot of people are feeling better. A lot of people saved a lot of money during the pandemic. If they are fortunate enough to keep their jobs, but didn't have commuting or child care expenses, put off vacations, and they want to spend that money, you get a stimulus check, you can go spend it tomorrow. It's harder to get that worker on board, right? Uh, and there's right. a lot of reasons why workers are a little hesitant to come back even still.
0: So uh, what are the unemployment numbers that we've seen lately? Because uh, m- my understanding is that that part of it is improving, but then we'll get into kind of why... Some workers don't want to go back. And, and, you know, it's kind of the things that we've been talking about. I'm scared of getting COVID still. The unemployment benefits is a big thing. A lot of them are making more money than they would at their normal jobs. But what are those numbers that we're seeing right now?
3: Yeah, the latest unemployment numbers showed about a half million new applications for unemployment benefits last week. That's a vast improvement from a year ago. But it's still a double where we were before the pandemic began. That same report shows about 16 million Americans are receiving benefits. By by way of comparison, it was about 2 million before the pandemic began. So 16 million is a lot of people receiving unemployment benefits still. Overall unemployment rate, it's fallen. It's about 6% now. It's expected to even tick down a little bit further. And that's basically normal, right? That's like the historic average. It's not real low, but it's certainly not what we saw a year ago.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about why some workers might not want to get back into the workforce. One of the things that I keep seeing is that, you know, obviously some of them are making some decent money with their unemployment benefits right now, but others are waiting to get that better opportunity, let's say. They don't maybe want to go back into some of the sectors they were in before, so they're waiting for something else. Uh, People want to continue to work remotely. So if a job isn't offering that for them, maybe they're going to pass and they're going to wait on something they can get. So workers are being very selective with what they want.
3: So there's a number of different factors at play here. Certainly the unemployment benefits are one of them. Benefits have been extended uh, for about 18 months. Usually there are about six months of benefits as you can get, and they pay more. They're $300 better than they were before the pandemic because of the covid relief bills. So, if you're kind of looking at that 10, 15, maybe even $18 an hour job, you're not likely to make much more money going to work than you are on the benefits, especially when you factor in childcare costs, commuting costs, things of like that. But you're also right that workers are selective. Uh, I talked to Zip Recruiter for this story and they said only about a third of workers would take the first job they are offered for financial reasons. And that's down from half of workers in 2018, which was a pretty darn good labor market. Uh, So workers, because of stimulus benefits, because of unemployment benefits and the like, I feel like they have some more flexibility. And in some cases, they're waiting to take the job that they lost, right? They lost a job that was in their neighborhood or something they enjoyed doing. A lot of people I talked to were in kind of event space, in-person services, those jobs haven't fully come back yet, but they are coming back. So they're reluctant to take a construction job or a warehousing job that they don't really feel fits their skill sets.
0: And then on the employer side, a lot of them are offering a lot of benefits, extra pay. Uh, I know a lot of big companies have boosted their pay just to start attracting workers as well. But even then, that uh, has a trickle effect too and can uh, leak over to the consumer as well.
3: So we're starting to see evidence of wage increases. Uh, Companies like Walmart, Amazon, Costco, really big employers have all raised pay this year. And the overall pay picture, it's not going up by gangbusters around 3%, but that's similar to what it was before the pandemic. Remember, that was the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. So the fact that pay is rising at a similar rate than basically the best post-World War II expansion that we've seen, It's fairly tight out there. It could, though, still be temporary because some of these workers that are on the sideline, come September, benefits run out, schools reopen, people are vaccinated. There might be some more competition in a few months.
0: Once September rolls around and these benefits start to go away, things start to normal out. Is that when the labor market will start uh, evening out itself? Is that when companies will start finding more workers?
3: I think that that's a likely possibility. I think at the moment, the demand is outstripping the supply, things might come back into equilibrium. The businesses that maybe they're a summer seasonal business, they might have to raise pay to, to get that worker. Maybe some other businesses say, well, we'll forego a project. We'll not open every section of the restaurant and come fall or the beginning of winter, You know, we think that the, the labor market will come back to us.
0: Eric Marath, labor and economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Sure. Happy to join you anytime.
2: These rental car companies that were trying desperately to sell off everything they had so that they wouldn't owe money on it now have smaller fleets. And what they do have in their fleets, they're uh, they're holding on to for longer, as you said. And in fact, <laughs> they're seeing everyone want to rent cars again, <laughs> which is not where they were at a year ago. Joining
0: us now is Nora Naughton, auto industry reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Nora. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a a familiar story for anybody that's looking to buy a house right now. If you're looking to buy a used car, you can also expect to pay very high prices and very few options out there. Um, You know, the pandemic has kind of uh, disrupted a lot of things. Uh, We've heard a lot of stories about rental car companies having very low inventory of cars right now. And, you know, everything's going crazy. The average price for a pre-owned vehicle hit a record of $25,463 in April. That's uh, almost uh, $2,800 more for the same thing last year. So, Nora, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing in the used car market right now.
2: This has been sort of a slow upward tick that all of a sudden just skyrocketed in April. There's not enough new cars to go around because of a chip shortage uh, that's shutting down a bunch of factories. So then people go to the used lot when they can't find their new car. And the problem on the used side is that there's not as much inventory there either. A, because there's so much interest. And B, because one of the biggest sellers into the used market, rental car companies, we're not buying cars last year they don't have anything to turn over this year so that's leading to these you know dog fights in the wholesale lanes among dealers who are all bidding on the same car driving up the price and then if you're a consumer that that gets passed down to you you know there are dealers i've talked to in the last few weeks who are paying just as much for a used car as it was worth brand new or even more (laughs) and they have to make a profit on that car somehow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know, car analysts, car shopping analysts right now are saying, basically, if if you're not in dire need of a car, just wait. You're not going to pay the price you want. You're not going to find the model and kind of all the bells and whistles that you might want. It's just going to be really hard to come by. Uh, And you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on with this. The chip shortage is uh, straining the inventory of new cars. Um, But the rental car company uh, thing also has an impact on this. A lot of them were keeping some of their cars longer. Um, You know, those cars didn't Mm -hmm. flood into the used car market. So tell us a little bit about uh, that part of it as well.
2: Yeah. So the used car market is a pretty delicate ecosystem. And uh, we first saw how delicate it was about a year ago, right before Hertz filed for bankruptcy. At the beginning of the pandemic, Used car values really plummeted, and all of a sudden, these rental car fleets were underwater. Hertz wasn't able to survive that. So we we fast forward a a year later, and these rental car companies that were trying desperately to sell off everything they had so that they wouldn't owe money on it now have smaller fleets. And what they do have in their fleets, they're uh, they're holding on to for longer, as you said. And in fact, (laughs) they're seeing everyone want to rent cars again, which is not where they were at a year ago. Right, people want to go Um, on those vacations again. Right. So an interesting reversal has happened here, where last year everyone was afraid that these rental car companies were going to dump their cars into the used car market and further impact values. What's happened now is that They are bidding against dealers in the used car auction lane. They are actually trying to buy used cars to fill out their fleets because they don't have enough cars to meet demand.
0: The affordability for these cars, you know, is tough for Americans right now. Everybody's kind of slowly eking back into this. And this is a a trend that is continuing where consumers are paying more for everything. It's not just used cars. It's not just homes. They're paying more for household goods, food items, and they expect that this, even with the used car market, is going to get worse before it gets better.
2: One thing that a lot of the dealers that I've spoken to recently are trying to figure out is whether this is permanent or a flash in the pan. Are we looking at real permanent inflation here that changes the entry level to the vehicle market, or is this just another weird? post-pandemic or mid-pandemic blip that we all have to ride through.
0: Nora Naughton, auto industry reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Vincent Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.